Amen. Please remain standing and open the pages of the scripture in your hand to our scripture reading this morning. The first reading comes from the book of Psalm 22. The book of Psalm 22. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, Christ our Savior, suffering in the hand of wicked men in Israel. Psalm 22, verse 6 to 8. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. Turn to now the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Mark, chapter 15. As we continue making our way through the Gospel of Mark, this morning we find ourselves in chapter 15, 16 to 32. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they closed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the pur- purple cloak and put this, his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of skulls. And they offered him a wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, on one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, 
uh, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified him also reviled him. Amen. Let's pray. A gracious and heavenly Father, indeed your word is truth. So now we ask you to sanctify us by the truth of your word. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it always depends to whom you talk. But one of the greatest public affair or event that most people in the UK adore and celebrate is the coronation of the king. The coronation of the king or the queen takes almost the life of everyone in the UK. You have seen it on the TV. The streets of London would be filled with uh, people in the UK and other places to see the king and uh, the queen crowned to show the new king to be uh, coronated honor and respect. So let alone, you see on that day, let alone people w- would dis- disrespect or making fun of the king uh, being uh, crowned by coming near to the king it is unlikely for someone to despise the king in public places. On that day, the newly crowned king would be praised and cheered by all people. Well, the irony of what we see in our text this morning is staggering. It is shocking, deeply shocking. Yes, it is a coronation of a king. It was a procession of a king crowned, but by mocking, with mocking. And who is this king, brothers and sisters in Christ? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Does that bother you as a Christian? Does that cause your heart to ask the question, why? Why do people treat Jesus the way they treated him in our text this morning? Think about it. The Gospel of Mark. The moment you open the Gospel of Mark, The gospel begins with what? The the declaration of a wonderful news. The arrival of the new king. You remember what Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
Even he mentions John the Baptist preparing the way for the King, Jesus Christ our Savior. In, in verse 14, we see Jesus appearing and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying to all people, believe and repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The king arrived. His kingdom was established. But then you see wicked men in Israel. The Roman soldiers taking control of his life. His ministry. And beat him. And, and despise him. And reject him. My question to all of you this morning is. Does that bother you as a Christian? Does that cause you to ask why? Why is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh? Through Him, everything was created out of nothing, including these Roman soldiers. Why is this Jesus in the hand of this wicked man? Being despised and rejected. Well, the answer that the Bible gives to that question, to that inquiry, is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ had to fulfill the work of your salvation, the work of your redemption, by going first through a state of humiliation, and in a state of glorification. That's why. That was the reason why he was willing to fall into the hand of those whom he created, on whom who, who he rules. He led them to, to beat him. He led them to torture him, to torment him. So that he would go through this state of humiliation and suffering to fulfill your salvation and my salvation. And this morning I want us to consider that. Under these three points, the shame of Jesus' coronation, verse 16 to 20, and the glory of Jesus' coronation, verse 21 to 32, and then I want us to take two important lessons from this. So first we see the shame of Jesus' coronation. Go back, I'm sure some of you have read about this, but ancient coronation. When Caesar is coronated and crowned, when that process of procession of crowning a monarch or a king in ancient times is taking place, the coronation is done or it involves the following things. One, the soldiers would stand around the king to be crowned. The, the soldiers would fill the palace. And the sign and the picture of that was the king conquers. The king rules. 
The king defends his government and his throne through these soldiers. The king is there to conquer. And then the king would be given a scepter, a sign of rule. They would put crown on the head of the king, crowning. And then they would bow down and pay homage to the king. And then they will go out to the streets and do procession for the king. And everyone salutes the king saying, Hail the king of the Jews. That's what happens. But what we see in Jesus' coronation is a mock coronation. Yes, it was a coronation, but it involved what? Insult, rejection, despise, torment, torture. You see, Jesus is now, he's, he's no more in the hand of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. He's no more in the hand of the soldiers of the temple. He's in the hand of the Romans. The Roman soldiers, and I want you to know this, these soldiers were professionals. These soldiers were bloodthirsty, expert killers. I want you to know that they were selected to be in Jerusalem. If an uprise was, would take place, they will stop it. They will kill everyone who would participate in the uprise. They were there to protect Pilate. They were there to protect the Jewish people from, uh, you know, revolt against the Roman government. So I want you to know that these soldiers were not any soldiers. They were professionals. They were trained to kill, to torment and torture people. You also need to know this. Jesus was given into the, their hand as one who was condemned, condemned to death because of treason. As one who claimed to be the king. And that was a capital crime. You see, in, in first century... The question, crucial question, that everyone would face in everyday life was, who is the king? You see, for, for you and I today to make a statement, Jesus is the king. It is a theological uh, proposition. And no one is going to kill you. President Biden is not going to put in prison if he say Jesus is king. But in first century, if you say Jesus is king, it is treason and you will be killed. And Jesus claimed to be the king. And he must be crucified. He must be crucified. He must be killed. So imagine a man, it doesn't matter who the man is for them, a man who claimed to be the king, who was condemned to death, imagine how these soldiers will treat him. He will be exposed to be tormented and tortured the way they pleased. He was already beaten. 
He was exposed. His back was bleeding. Church historians would tell us his, his back was bleeding and he was open. Because they tortured him in the Garden of Gethsemane when they were bringing him to the courtyard of the high priest. It was a long day, a long night for our Savior. He was ex exhausted because he took too much insult and despise. And now he's in the hand of the Roman soldiers. In Isaiah 53:3, Isaiah tells us he was despised and rejected by men. In verse 7, he tells us he was oppressed and he was afflicted. That's what is taking place right now. The scripture is being fulfilled. And notice what they have done. First, they surrounded him as if they were his soldiers. But they did that to mock him, to insult him. And then they took thorns and they twisted them and they, they, ma they made a crown out of the twisted thorns and they put them on his head. And they pushed them inside to torture him, to inflict more pain on our Savior. And then they saluted him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They were giving to Jesus fake homage. They were making fun of him. Do you know what they were saying? We hate you. We don't want you. We will kill you. You said you are the king. We'll show you you're not. That's what they were saying. For the soldiers, he was exposed. Then, what was Jesus doing, my friends? What was Jesus doing? He was silent. This was part of his active obedience. Suffering in the hand of the wicked men in, the, in this world was part of his active obedience. In Isaiah 50, 50 6 to 8, Isaiah says, this is a prophecy, but a prophecy of what happened here. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out of the beard. I hid not my, I, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. They spit at him. He didn't hide his face. Psalm 22, 16, 18, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. That's what they were doing on Jesus. But Jesus was silent. Now we all need to understand all the shame and the torment and this madness by these Roman soldiers 
is the picture of man's sinful and corrupted heart. God forbid you and I are now condemning the Roman soldiers, saying that's bad, that's terrible, they should be condemned by God, they should be judged by God. Brother, sister, young children, that's your heart, that's my heart. Apart from God's grace, that's who we are. We too have crucified Jesus when we rejected him, when we despised him. We participated in this act of treason against the Son of God, the Messiah. You see, this is the picture of who we are. Apart from God's grace. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperate and sick. Who can understand it? Have you heard people saying, I follow my heart. Please don't follow your heart. That's a bad idea. You don't need to follow your heart. You need to follow the word and the spirit. You need to follow Jesus, not your heart. It's wicked. You never understand. You will never understand your heart. What does I, Jeremiah meant when he said the heart is sick? What it means is it is beyond cure. Unless the grace come, the grace of God come, and the power of the Holy Spirit come and change our hearts. It's beyond of cure. 1 Corinthians 2.8 None of the rulers of this age understood this. Listen to this carefully. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Roman soldiers, all of us, everyone who participated in the crucifixion of the Son of God, if we would have understood who Jesus was, we would never crucify, now listen to this carefully, the Lord of glory. Not just the Lord, but the Lord of glory. What is Paul talking about? Jesus is the Lord of glory. Which means Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the king. But he was silent. In the hand of these Roman soldiers, why? To take your place, to take my place, to become our substitute and die on Calvary on behalf of God's children because of our sin. Isn't that what the, what the Lord's Supper reminds us this morning? What Jesus did for us on the cross? The fact that He took our place, the fact that he was silent in order to fulfill the work of redemption on our behalf. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't revile. He was silent. Who was silent? The baby who was born in a manger? No. The king was silent. God in the flesh was silent. The maker of heaven and earth was silent. The judge of the universe was silent. 
And he was silent. So that you and I would be forgiven. You and I would be justified. Declared righteous in the sight of God. Now I want, to, I want us to ask this question. What glory do we see in Jesus' torment and torture? You see, the Romans, in their mocking against the Lord Jesus Christ, they put crown of thorns on his head. They did make fun of him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They, they mocked and insulted him. Do you see any glory in there? Now we're talking about not the shame of Jesus' coronation. We have seen that. Now we're talking about the glory of Jesus' coronation. Where is the glory? By God's grace, this morning I want to tell all of you that every act of torment, every act of torture from the hands of the Roman soldiers had a spiritual meaning and significance. I will start with the clock. They brought a clock, a rope, and they dressed him. They were making fun of him. That rope, brothers and sisters in Christ, represents the rope of righteousness that Christ gave to each and every one of us by dying on the cross. That rope represents the rope of righteousness that you have received from Christ by faith. When he fulfilled suffering in his own life. Philippians 3, 9. Indeed, I count every, everything as lost because of the surpassing work, words of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, Paul said. In order that I may gain Christ. Listen to this. In order that I may gain Christ. How do we gain Christ? And be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. Through keeping the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This righteousness was given to us as a rope. We dressed it by faith. We have it today if we are in Christ. But Jesus had to take that rope of mocking and insult so that he would give us the rope of righteousness. What about the scepter? That Jesus rules. That's the picture. Jesus rules. He will rule. And we will rule with him. Look on your bulletin this morning. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. 
Not only Jesus, you see, we, we, will, we too will rule with Him if we believe in Him, if we trust in Him. What is the difference, brothers and sisters, in Christ between Caesar and Jesus? Caesar is dead. His crown is gone. But I want you to think about this. When they took thorns and twisted them and made a a crown out of it and put it on Jesus' head, the spiritual significance of what they did was Jesus taking the curse from upon his people. And put him on himself. You remember in Genesis chapter 3. God after the fall. Told Adam and Eve. And through them all of us. That the ground will bear what thorns and tassels. That was curse. And Jesus took it upon himself. Isn't what Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He took that curse when he took The thorns upon himself. So we ask this morning, what is the difference between Caesar and Jesus? Caesar will never conquer sin and death and hell for you. He himself is waiting for the final judgment to be judged by this king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus will save you. You see, beloved, Jesus will conquer death and hell and the power of sin for you. So you see, every act of violence and torture and torment on Jesus had a spiritual meaning for us. That's the glory of his coronation. And that's the glory of the children of God. He was humiliated, he was crushed and tormented, but he was glorified. Because God the Father exalted him, he glorified him after he fulfilled the work of redemption on our behalf. And there are two important lessons that I want us to take for our life this morning. First, we too have crucified Jesus. We all are guilty of what was done to Jesus. Don't look at the soldiers and consider yourself righteous than them. Paul in Romans chapter 3 tells us, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's who we are. First lesson 
We are guilty of this, this crime. But then the second lesson is Jesus changed this for us. We were guilty. But God the Father declared us righteous because of what Jesus did for us. Listen to John in 1 John 3, 1. See, or behold. Behold means, especially in the Hebrew language, behold means take a pause and look at what just happened. At what God just has done for you. Behold. Understand, perceive it, grasp this. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God and we are. We are the children of God. Because of what Jesus did for us. Because the Father gave He gave up His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in Him will not be perished but have eternal life. That exchange took place. Jesus changed the matter of the curse for us by taking our place. Think about the Father's love. We we sang this morning... About the Father's love. Do you understand the Father's love? The Father's love is eternal. The Father's love was expressed not by silver or gold. The Father's love was not expressed by merely words. God from heaven saying, I love you and you are saved. That's not the way the Father's love was expressed. First, it was eternal. And secondly, it was expressed, it was manifested on this terrible place that we call Golgotha. Calvary. Where the King, Jesus, died and was crucified. That's the Father's love. That's the love that John is calling us to look at and behold and embrace the love of the Father. And with the love of the Father comes what? The will of the Son. Father, your will, not my will. You loved them from eternity? I'm going to die for them. I will give my life to them. And I will remove the curse from them. And I will be silent and go through my state of humiliation to fulfill redemption. That's how our redemption was fulfilled, beloved. Take these two lessons with you. You are not innocent from the blood of the Son of God, but Jesus changed that for you. By taking your place and die for you on the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, thank you for your love for us. That eternal and everlasting love that changed everything about us, everything in us.
everything concerning us. That love that made us the children of God through the sacrifice, the blood, and the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that love. Now we ask you to grant us your Holy Spirit so that we all would behold and understand what kind of love that the Father bestowed upon us through the suffering of His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.